Good morning. So good to see everyone here. We're thankful for this Lord's Day. We're here together. We can sing these songs of praise. Thankful for our visitors that are with us. Glad you've come our way. The question before us is, how big is your God? You know, we read in Genesis 1 and verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You think about that, the impact of that one verse. What does that tell us about God? You know, in Acts 4 and verse 24, the apostles said, the apostles, they said in a prayer, says, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. What does that tell you about God? The majesty of God, the power of God, the omnipotence of God. How big is your God? He is bigger than a lot, a lot of people think. You know, there are some that try to deny that there is a God. You know, I could close my eyes and say that there are no people in this building. Some men close their minds and say that there is no God, even though there is abundant proof thereof. And Psalm 14 and verse 1 it says there, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down upon from heaven, upon the children of men, to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There was none that doeth good. No, not one. The fool says, there is no God. Yet most people who have ever lived believe uh, in God, at least in a God, you might say. But over the years, people have had various attitudes about God and what He is like. You know, uh, some years ago, there was a popular theory that God is dead. You know, people have the wrong attitude about God from time to time. Uh, you know, even uh, you know, many adults, many people have thoughts about God that are just not correct. And so uh, there are some people that view God as, as simply a, you know, a, a great cosmic police officer or cop. You know, always uh, just saying, you know, don't do that. They consider God as a nagging inner voice holding them back. You know, Martin Luther, the great uh, uh, reformer of the Catholic Church or attempted reformer of the Catholic Church, he felt this way about God. He once said, man is in constant fear that God is standing behind him with a club in hand ready to strike him down. Uh, that is not a correct view of God, certainly. But yet that is an attitude and a thought that many people have, that he is a, a cop just waiting for you to mess up. And so uh, he can uh, you know, whack you upside the head and drag you to jail. You know, that's not the way the Bible pictures God, though. In Psalms 84 and verse 11, it says here, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. In Psalms 34 and verse 10, there it says, The, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. 
You know, the Bible doesn't picture God as someone that just wants to strike us dead the moment we sin. You know, God is pictured always as a God that is long-suffering, a God that loves, a God that gives us the chance to do right, that gives us the chance and the opportunity to turn back to Him. You know, some people treat God also like a policeman because they only go to Him in times of trouble. You know, if you're in trouble, if you're being chased by a bad guy, you know, you, you want to run to where the police are. You want to find that protection. And likewise, people sometimes they only go to God in times of death or sickness, heartache and sorrow. You think about, uh, you know, the rich man in the story of the rich man in Lazarus. He went to God, but it was too late. He wanted his, uh, you know, he wanted to send Lazarus back to speak to his brothers, but it was too late. You think about uh, Samson. Samson turned back to God, but it was, it was too late for him to continue in life. He turned back to God, at, and uh, in the end, he, uh, he brought down the temple. But, uh, you know, a lot of times, though, people, they don't look to God until they need Him for something. Not recognizing that we need God every day. And so some people's misplaced view of God... As he's just some kind of you know, policeman that wants to, to you know, drag him off to jail. You know, others, uh, they view God simply as a scolding parent. You know, some people have the same bad attitude toward God that they have towards their own parents. They resent their authority. They don't have respect for them. There is no love. They obey out of necessity to keep from getting punished. And that's the way you know, so many people are with their families, with their parents. Some people have that attitude towards God. They resent His authority. You know, remember Pharaoh says, Who is God that I should do whatever it is? That I should let His people go or that I should let you go? Who is God? Who gives Him the authority or, or why does He have authority over me? You know, there are those, I've had a friend once tell me that, that I, I, I won't serve anything that I'm supposed to be afraid of, that I am supposed to be in awe of. I'm not going to serve a God that I'm supposed to fear. Again, he resists the authority. Uh, there is no respect or love for God. Uh, there are some that obey out of necessity. They are afraid not to obey. It is not because they love God. You know, the Bible teaches that we should obey from the hearts, uh, from a heart of love. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. The reason why we are to obey is out of love. Verse 21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him in first john chapter 5 and verse 3 it says for this is the love of god that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous then matthew 22 verse 37 thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart with all thy soul and with all thy mind you know uh, some see god as just one who is a, a scolding parent they don't respect or love him but the Bible teaches that we love Him. 
that we obey Him because we love Him. We don't obey Him grudgingly. Another uh, mis- wrong view of God is that He simply, well, He's just this uh, grand old man who lived a long time ago and doesn't know anything about our age. To many people, God is only a historical figure. You know, they say, well, you know, Jesus uh, wore sandals, he wore long robes, and he rode on donkeys while he was here on earth. And so they say, well, he doesn't know uh, anything about the problems on earth today. In other words, they're saying that God, Christ, and the Bible are out of date. They're old-fashioned. They were good in their day, but now they are useless to man. But, uh, you know, we we need to understand that God is up to date and so is His Word, uh, the Bible. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. You know, God's Word, God has not changed. His Word has not changed. Man uh, has not really changed. You know, the way we, uh, the clothes we wear, the way we move about, uh, those things have changed. But uh, people themselves are, are the same. Our physical way of life may change, uh, but in the real needs and trials of life, they're all the same. We need to eat, we need to drink, we need food, we need shelter, we need love, we need compassion. You know, we need all of these things. Jesus and God are willing to treat us the same way they treated people in the first century. He has the same love and saving power for each and every one of us. He has not changed in his attitude towards sin. Our Savior and God are perfect, therefore they do not change. God is not out of date. He is just as real to us as to any people who ever lived. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 says, uh, Charge them that are rich in this world. That they be not high-minded, nor trust in certain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. All people He's given all things to. All that we have comes from God. And He's given them for us to use. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Uh, it says there, uh, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. Again, God has the same love for us that He did for people thousands of years ago. God has not changed. We may change, but God has not changed and His will has not changed. His love has not changed. He cares about us uh, even as He cared about people of old. Uh, some say they view God, well, he's just easygoing. You know, they feel that since God is good, he will not punish mankind very much, if at all. You know, there are some that imagine hell that is not, uh, not like we think it is. It's not all bad, they say. People reason like this. How could a God of love and mercy punish anyone by casting them into hell with a devil? Many people conclude that God would not really do it, so therefore they see no reason to be a Christian. You know, people have this general idea that nothing very bad will happen to me if I don't. If I don't become a Christian, if I don't obey God, eh, nothing really bad. 
Uh, because, you know, we, we tend to generalize things. We tend to, to put the best spin on things sometimes. Uh, we need to understand, you know, God is meek and mild, but God is also just and holy. He is as much a God of wrath as He is a God of love. Uh, both of those aspects of His character have to be appeased. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or hinder the truth in unrighteousness. You know, His wrath is against all ungodliness. His wrath is against all sin. You know, wrath is that in God stands, uh, which God stands opposed to man's disobedience. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. You know, the children of disobedience are those that simply disobey God. It's not something that's inherited. It's not that these people over here, that they can't help but be, uh, you know, uh, what they are. It is those, simply those that choose disobedience are the children of disobedience. So his wrath is against them. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse, beginning with verse 7, Paul writes to these troubled Christians. He says, you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You know, God is a God of love. He wants all to be saved and come unto a knowledge of the truth. He wants all, all to come to repentance. He wants everyone to go to heaven. But he is not just going to overlook sin and leave it unpunished. And so God is not simply a God that is easygoing, who's going to overlook sin. Others, they view God as simply a, a rule book author. You know, they think that, that God or His Word is simply a book of rules which He wants us to follow perfectly. You know, after a man has tried, uh, sometimes after a man has tried to live the Christian life for a while, he's going to discover that there is still sin in his life. And sometimes still sin in his heart. Therefore, a lot of folks, when they realize that, they give up. They say, what's the use? I can't be perfect, and God expects me to be perfect. Therefore, I'm just going to give up. You know, then uh, when they see anyone else who professes to be trying, well, they, you know, they say, well, that's just a hypocrite. You're just a hypocrite because you're, you're like me. You're full of sin as well. You know, God is perfect. And since he created us, he knows that we are weak and sinful creatures. He knows that. But he has given us his word to help us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. He's given it to us so that we can be perfect. Not in the sense of sinlessly perfect, though that is the goal. Uh, but uh, the word really just means, here in verse 17, just means complete. 
Uh, it's from the Greek word artios, only found here in this verse, by the way, which means fitted or completed. It is from the word that means a limb or a joint. It's like we are in joints. It's like a, a, a shoulder that is out of joint is in joint now. And so it operates properly. It functions correctly. It is complete in that sense that it is doing what it ought to do. And so the Word of God gives us the ability to uh, do what God commands. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, it says there, Not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect, but I follow after that if I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. And again, this word doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. This word here, the Greek word teleos, uh, means having reached its end. Finished, complete, or perfect. It is used of persons primarily of physical development, then with ethical import. One who is fully grown or mature. And so uh, again, Paul is saying, I have not yet uh, reached the end of my growth. I've not yet reached the, the end of, of what it is I'm striving to do. I'm not perfect in that way. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, it says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And so there is the goal. The goal for which we are striving is to be like God. And so what does it mean to be perfect? Well, it doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. But it means to be complete or fully matured. You know, we all know that we sin. 1 John 1 and verse 10 uh, says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You know, God is our perfect model. Again, as Matthew 5 verse 48 says, Be ye perfect even as your Father is perfect, even as God is perfect. The requirement of trying to be, as per to be perfect keeps us in mind of our infirmities. As I strive to be like God, it reminds me uh, of how far I have yet to go. And so that's what keeps me at work. Recognizing there is a standard that I have not achieved, that I'll go through my entire life and, and, and not achieve. But it keeps, uh, keeps me going, keeps me striving. Like Paul says, uh, he is ever striving towards that. He's pushing towards that. That perfection. Our standard is not the perfection of great and heroic men. Although I would love to be uh, compared to people like George Washington or, or Abraham Lincoln or someone like that. But that's not the standard. But the standard is the infinite creator himself. It is God. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Again, God does not want us to sin, but he's also given us an advocate for when we have sinned. And so God is not simply a rule book author. God is uh, not simply a cosmic clockwinder, as some would say. This is the idea is really the idea behind deism. You know, God controls the universe. You know, they say, but he's not interested in me as an individual. And so that's the idea of deism. The idea is that, that God wound up the world like a clock. And that it's ticking down. 
It's running down. Time is just going by. They believe that God is out there watching, but is not going to pay too much attention to to little people like me and you. These people don't believe God is concerned about the individual. They don't think God really cares. He just created the universe, set everything in motion, and he's just sitting back watching. But notice uh, what the Bible says about this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 and verse 30 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs on your head are numbered. As insignificant as the birds of the sky are, the small sparrows, about the smallest among birds, least significant among birds, and yet God cares about them, and he's numbered the very hairs on your head. God cares. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, For he careth for you. We have a caring God. Luke chapter 10 verse 20 says, Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. God knows us as individuals. If we are a faithful Christian, our name is written in heaven. My name is written in heaven. Your name is written in heaven. As an individual. You know we're going to be judged individually. On the things that are done in our body. Whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. You know God does deal with us individually. He cares about each and every one of us. As individuals. Not as just mankind as a whole. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him. Should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves the world Referring to the people in the world. But individually. Whosoever. That's individual. Each and every individual. God is not just someone that that set the universe in motion. And is sitting back watching with disinterest. God cares. You know some. They view God really as, as an earthly rewarder. You know, they feel that God should reward or punish here and now for what we do. You know, that was the, the mistaken idea uh, that Job's three friends had, remember? They said, you know, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this because I don't have the verse in front of me. But they said, you know, who being righteous did not prosper? Who being righteous has suffered the things you're suffering, Job? You're reaping the reward of your sin is what they're saying. They they thought that God only works in the here and now and only punishes in the here and now, only blesses in the here and now. You know, this seems to be the way we do things also. And if God does not do it this way, we become disappointed and hurt. We think that we should have the reward now. But God's ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says there, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
You know, we are not promised an earthly reward. We're not promised that at all. Sometimes earthly rewards result, but not always. You think about Daniel chapter 3, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood up for God, and I mean literally, they didn't bow down to that image. As a result, they were cast in the fiery furnace. Of course, they survived that. The Lord protected them there, and in the end, they were promoted. So they received a reward in this life for their faithfulness. We see it again in Daniel 6. You know, Daniel kept his integrity. He's thrown into the den of lion, and, and afterwards it says that he prospered all through the reign of Darius and into uh, the reign and through the reign of Cyrus. Again, received an earthly reward, and yet we see others not so much. In Acts chapter 7, you know, Stephen preached one of the most courageous sermons ever recorded in the New Testament. He stood before the very men that crucified Jesus. And he brought the guilt of that upon them. And what happened to him? He was taken out and he was stoned to death. Murdered by those men. Sometimes God rewards us in this life. Sometimes not. Sometimes we, we get uh, treated horribly by this world because of what we do uh, in standing for Christ. Standing for God. God is not an earthly re rewarder. You know, the reward is coming for the faithful. It may not be here on this earth. You know, we cannot, you know, model God from what we know of man. Man is an earthly rewarder. An earthly punisher. We must remember that if he is God, he is above men. But also that he is, again, as we said before, he is interested in men. He is interested in us. He is going to, to bless us or punish us as necessary. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You know, what is the correct view of God? You know, we understand that God is all-powerful, omnipotent. He created the heavens and the earth and all that in them is. Everything in this universe created by God. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He knows uh, even the number of hairs on our very heads. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. He is omniscient. And He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. All-seeing. Always the same. Immutable. Jesus Christ the same today, uh, yesterday, and forever. He is faithful. Holy and pure. Full of mercy and grace. Uh, and full of love. When we understand and know that God is love, we're going to love Him. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, it says we love him because he first loved us. You think about all that God has done. When we understand that, how can we not love God who gave his only begotten son? You know, what is the love of God? 1 John 5, 3, that we keep his commandments 
And his commandments are not grievous. You know, serving God out of love is not a burden. It's not grief. We love God. Why won't we obey Him? We think about all that God has done and all that He is. How can we not love Him? We truly understand God. How can we not love Him? And if we love Him, how can we not serve Him? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Think about what Jesus has done. You know, the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. Uh, Romans 1 verse 18, we have all done unrighteousness. And the wrath of God uh, is at one point against us. And yet Jesus gave himself upon the cross. So that we can be free of that wrath. So that we can appease that wrath of God. He made that sacrifice to appease the wrath of God. All we have to do is put on Christ. Believe that He is the Son of God. And based on that belief, repent of our sins. Confess our belief. Be baptized to have our sins washed away. And to put on Christ. Today if you're here. And you're not a child of God today. We urge you today to become a child of God. To be baptized. To have your sins washed away. Be added to the body of the saved. The church. Here today is one who is a Christian who has not been faithful. We urge you to come back and to repent. We can help you this morning to respond to the Lord's invitation. Let us know as we stand and sing by coming forward.